Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen the film, just be aware that there may be spoilers. Enjoy. Hello. Oh, hello there. I like your background. That is something. Hieronymus Butch. <laughs> the famous Dutch painter of terrifying butts. Yep, yep. Anonymousbutts.com. Yep. Where you go for all of your Hieronymus Bosch butt needs. That's what they, they had a lot of butts in the, you know, 15th century or whenever it was he was painting. It was a long time ago. <laughs> of course, the anus was actually invented in 1900. Um, yeah, before that, which, it was just the buttocks, but there was no hole. Exactly, exactly. Human beings had a cloaca um, where all waste was passed. Uh, the, the anus was actually invented in in 1900 of course then came the downfall of civilization it was mainly just to differentiate us from birds right exactly exactly you know there was chickens all over the place giving it all that and and human beings were like you know what we need to make a statement and that statement is the butt yeah that statement is bums uh famously in 1066 uh harold was shot in the anus by an arrow um, by Willy as, Bum the Conqueror. By Willy Bum the Conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> At the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, how are you? In the, um, the Bummer Tapestry. <laughs> tap this is like a. Is it Tap Astry? Yeah, yeah. He, William the Conqueror tapped that ass. <laughs> this is like a, a history lesson I'd have had in year eight. It's great. Very much enjoying welcome, that. Welcome to the alternative butt history of Britain, everybody. Yeah. Um, you know that show Drunk <laughs> History that's apparently very funny that I've never seen? This is what I yeah. imagine it's like. It's mostly just very puerile puns about historical events. You know what? I have never watched it either. It looks a bit cringe, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I, again, people say that it's good, but I've I've never got around to watching it. Um but um, but yeah, no, I imagine that it is just that it's we, we have reinvented the wheel here. I'm afraid. Yep, we've reinvented the wheel, and it's got two buttocks. <laughs> Again, making it a greatly superior wheel. Yeah. Um. So how how are you today? Not too bad. I am a little bit late because I just stubbed my toe really badly just just before we were about to start recording, and I needed a minute. I think it might be broken. It's really, really painful. Oh, no. So going to be doing this Which show toe was pain. it? My little toe. Oh, that's always the worst. There's nothing you can do about the little toe. Kind of cracked it outwards. <sighs> oh, dear. And you just always feel like such an idiot, don't you? Because you, you know, you're just walking around at home and then suddenly there it is. And it's like if you'd just been an inch to the left or whatever, it wouldn't have happened. If you'd cha-cha that slide real slow, as the famous song goes... You would have been okay. Yep. Except that's not okay because any song that has like a synchronized dance move is not allowed. Okay, hold on. I'm trying to think of some songs which have synchronized dancing, which are quite good. You remember this? I banned um, them all from my wedding because I just you did. I can't you stand did. it so much. Um, I I completely agree with that. I completely agree with the Macarena. Yeah, the Macarena is is abhorrent. It is a war crime. Um, what about Saturday Night? That's a good little song. The, the dance is bad, but the song itself is okay. Yeah, the dance, that's all like kind of the weird waving your hand in a circle while it's an, the elbows down thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's the most convoluted of them all. Um, yeah, the the song's not so bad. It's not like it's a banger, but it's a, it's acceptable. It's, a, it's not it's offensive, a com- is it? It's a, it Bon Jovi's it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Wigfield. That's, that's the name right. of the artist, that's right. right? 
A yeah. field of wigs. Yeah. Now, do you reckon that refers to wigs with or without an H? Are we talking... It's spelt with an H, isn't it? Is it? So it is a field of of historic British politicians. The political party from the days of Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah, yeah. Um, Also known for their their discussions of of butts. Yeah. The UK Parliament used to be a much more interesting place. Now it's just full of butts. (laughs) It is all butts and not the good kind. No, that's just Boris Johnson's cabinet. All bad butts. (laughs) Bad butts, bad butts. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when they run your country? <laughs> yeah, not a lot, as it turns out. Yeah. Um, so speaking of butts, butts obviously played a prominent role in Bridget Jones. And yeah. And we are now on Bridget Jones 2, Edge of Reason. The Edge of Reason. Not not as much butt slash pant action in this film as in the first one, is there? But there is still kind of an homage to the the bum sliding down the fireman's pole in the first film, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. It, they try it, to recreate the magic of that, and I think they just about succeed, I guess. Yeah, it's a bit... It feels... Overall, this film feels a little bit more like a pastiche of the first one. You know, it... it it treads a similar sort of ground a lot of the time. There's still the love triangle going on, um, even though it's all been resolved in the first film. It's the same sort of love triangle again, and the same kind of misunderstandings again. Um, so it, it it treads a similar path, but equally, it's still that kind of light-hearted comedy that you can get on board with and and sit down and and watch and switch off for an hour and a half isn't it yeah it's um what i I think it's yeah as i said last time i was never sure if that i'd seen it the whole way through because it's always on itv or itv2 on like a sunday evening or whatever and i've i've always come in halfway through and then i have to go to do the washing up when the ad breaks on and then i miss a crucial butt scene and then i don't know what's going on But actually, I think I have seen this all the way through before, because when you watch something like this, it all comes back to you, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I I found it exactly the same. Um, Not this time I watched it, but the time before, which was only about six months ago. I watched Bridget Jones and then Bridget Jones 2 immediately afterwards. Um, And so it's been, it's pretty fresh in my head anyway at the moment but the first time that I rewatched, I was like oh I've not watched this in years I wonder if I'll remember it and then literally every scene was like oh okay yep I remember this she gets a question wrong about Madonna um the woman eventually reveals that she loves her oh uh, good yeah, yeah. I th- we were gonna save that for later in the show. <laughs> no I thought I'd I thought I'd drop that I thought I'd drop that in really early on just to just to screw with you. Um so yeah, yeah really that's is quite terrible, isn't it? It is very, very bad. Um I suppose it's a original way to resolve a misunderstanding over romance in a movie like this. Yeah. Um it's an easy get out. I it's suppose. an easy get out. It's terrible. <laughs> um It's an easy get out, but at the same time they could have gone for literally anything else. Yeah, and I again, I've not read any of the books. I wonder if in the books it's the same thing. Or... Well, my wife has read the book, and um, I hadn't even realised that she'd read it, but we were talking about it while we were watching the film, and she said that she'd read both books, and kind of when this one came out, um, it's a bit later, it's in 2004, so we would have been about 16. It was one of the first films that she went to see kind of in the cinema without her parents, if that makes sense. Like you're going oh, with a yeah. group of friends yeah. and stuff. So she had kind of fond memories of it. But having read the book, the book came out in about 99 and all the content is very, it's very Tony Blair and it's very, things can only get better. And actually we were talking about that in relationship to the first film, whereas this film being that little bit later, I think they had to change a lot of stuff and they couldn't capture the spirit of that. Um, and it seems like they took a lot of that stuff out and just kind of replaced it with bum jokes and gags. Um, and But yeah, my wife informed me that that whole kind of I'm in love with you, Bridget, thing is not in the book. <laughs> okay, that doesn't surprise me. And that's interesting to see here because, um, you know, this came out in 2004, wasn't it? Um, so this is already new labour is going off. 
Yeah, um, it's gone off gone off the boil. We've had the Iraq war. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think if there's one thing I'm very, very disappointed in, it's that this, you know, lighthearted sequel to a romantic comedy that was cashing in on the first one didn't deal with the gritty reality of the Iraq war. <laughs> well, yes, you know, I mean, that's what I want from my rom-coms is a serious discussion about uh, war in the Middle East, the... Um, the impact of foreign intervention in other countries and lying to the British public. Um, I'm very disappointed that we didn't get that from Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. Um, I wanted her to be an Iraq war correspondent who accidentally gets her bum out just as a a rocket's going off or something like that. Yeah, but that's the Um, big joke about her job, isn't it? It's always like, oh, she wants to be a serious journalist, but really she's just the bum girl. Well, yes, yeah, and that that comes up often in this. Um, would you watch a a Daniel Carver, Bridget Jones travel show in real life if that was a real? Uh, you know, travel shows are kind of funny. It's like I'd never choose to watch a travel show, but often I I catch one when it's on or you're channel hopping and you're like when you're feeling a bit deflated and you just can't be bothered to change the channel. I, I actually quite enjoy them, but I very rarely to I, as in like travel shows where it's more presenter-led. Um, although I, I saw a few of those ones with Richard Ayoade and I thought those were quite funny. I was and, just about to mention that those are very, very funny. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, where... I, I, because Have it, you seen the outtakes from one where it's him and Bob Mortimer? I, they're somewhere in Germany, <laughs> no, I can't remember, I and not. they're in a pub just talking nonsense. It's very, very good. I have I have seen that episode. Oh, and with, Bob's with, t- he, Bob Mortimer's talking about his idea for a reverse toilet. <laughs> <laughs> like what he, he he what he means is this one that you sit on like facing the cistern um but Richard Ayoade thinks that he means it's one that um puts the poo back up into you <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's yeah very vulgar but oh dear. very funny Bob Mortimer is so funny it, it, Bob Mortimer is brilliant um yeah the the Rob Delaney one in Spain I can't remember where in Spain they go to but that one's very funny as well um, I don't think then, I've seen that. Have you seen the one with Adam Buxton? Yes. Yeah, where they go to, I can't remember, they go somewhere sunny. Um, but um, but yeah, it's a very funny show that. And I think those those kind of shows are very much led by the, the personalities that are in them. Um, and it's similar with uh, YouTube travel shows as well, as there's all sorts of people who do travel shows on YouTube and are like, oh, yes, I've been to this place and this place. But a lot of them are incredibly boring unless the people doing them yeah. are entertaining. It's a, it's a really important part where you can be in the most beautiful, interesting part of the world. But if you are a wet milk bag of rags, then it's not going to be interesting to watch. So, Or just some privileged influencer, which I suppose yeah, they didn't yeah. have in the Bridget Jones days, did they? That wasn't a thing back then. No, they just got jobs in media in general and everyone just expected them to, to be there. Whereas nowadays they can do, go down that route and be an anonymous person in the media or they can be an influencer and use their parents' money to buy their way into fame on Instagram. Yeah, and then get paid lots of money to travel to wherever and do lots of nice shots paid for by the tourist board. Yes, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's a great industry uh, being an influencer or an Instagram where you start off rich and then you get sent lots of free shit that you didn't need to get for free because you're already rich. Yeah, and then you Genius. become more rich. <laughs> and then you become more rich and you don't disclose that you were given this stuff for free when you say it's great. And um, you get all the likes. And you get yeah all the likes, most important thing, and you get to make young people feel bad about themselves because they do not have the privilege that you had. I yeah. mean, that, that's why they're in it, isn't it? Is that they're just feeding off the misery of the people that follow them on Instagram. Pretty much, yeah. And this is why things were much nicer in the Bridget Jones days. And it's why it's kind of nice to watch this. And yeah. you know, I'm curious to see whether they deal with social media in the next lot at all. The, they probably the, yeah, the, the privilege like the, pri- the, the privilege was nice and hidden. Uh, yeah, the privilege was nice and hidden in the Bridget Jones era. Where you didn't you didn't get to see it, whereas now it's all over the place. You know, keep 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 your privilege to yourself. That's what I say. Yep, definitely. So you know, to answer your original question, I'd watch the their travel show if I was flicking channels and it was there, but I probably wouldn't choose to watch it. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm the same in the 
like I, uh, Hugh Grant's character in these movies is brilliant. He plays him expertly, and he's almost the the anti traditional Hugh Grant character, isn't he? Um, where normally yeah, but at the same of... time, he is exactly the traditional Hugh Grant character, and he kind of flips <laughs> yeah. between the two expertly. Yeah, and he he yeah. knows that, and he's playing up to it, and that's part of what makes these films entertaining because it's not Colin Firth's character that does that, is it? No offense to Colin Firth, but he is wet milk. <laughs> He's yeah, he's he's um, he's Darcy, isn't he? He's 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 the modern and the historical Darcy. Um, whereas yeah, Hugh Grant. I suppose you're right. He he plays up to all of the fast talking British Hugh Granty tropes, but at the same time, there's that incredibly raw sexual energy edge to him, which is not what you see from Hugh Grant normally. Where normally he's a bit bumbly and is like, oh, I say, so I I saw some buttocks in 1973 and i haven't quite got over it yeah less of a bumbler and yeah Um, having a bit being a bit more of a confident outgoing character a bit more like the prime minister in love actually i suppose yeah yeah and he but even the 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 love actually prime minister still has that kind of awkward edge to him um until he stands up to billy bob thornton of course president president billy bob um Whereas, yeah, here is very much a sort of um, incredibly confident individual, and it's quite nice to see him in that role. Um, I, 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 I have something to say. I like Hugh Grant. I think he's yeah, good. Yeah, we, we've discussed this before, haven't we? I think he's done. It, it's not completely unfair to say that he was typecast in a lot of films and is thought of as something of a a bit of a caricature of British male. Um, you know, stereotypically British male leads in romantic comedies um, and romantic films due to some of the big stuff that he's been in. But he's he's a lot better than people think. You know, he's done a lot of activism against the gutter British press, which is always very, very good. And he's in Paddington too. So, you know. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, he's in Paddington too. Did you watch uh, The Undoing? No, what's that? Which is a very, very good TV series um, based on a book not called The Undoing. I can't remember what it's called. But it, the whole thing is it's him and Nicole Kidman. Did he kill someone or did he not kill someone? It's very, right. it's sort of, do, do, do people believe him? Does his wife believe him? Does his son believe him? Um, and yeah, it, it, and that's a very good show. And it, again, it plays into the can he be a is is he genuinely a good human being or is he just pretending to be this charming british person who has actually murdered someone it's a very yeah very good show and he again puts in a great performance in that so it's an exploration um, of britishness you know are we getting away yeah. with murder are we, as we, are we you know have so done on the global stage for are many we centuries a, are we a nation of sociopaths or are we a nation of notting hill bookshop owners yeah, um, a nation and, and of, of bookshopkeepers, and of course, the most important role of his career will be in 2023, where he's going to be in the new Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh hell yes! Um, I'm so excited which, about that. Which is starring uh, Chris Pine from the Star Treks, the Star Treks, um, the Wonders Women. Yep, uh, Michelle Rodriguez as well. Cool. Um, the kid from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and Detective Pikachu. You've seen cool. Detective Don't know. Pikachu. No, haven't I haven't you? seen it. I need to get right to that. I thought you had I thought you had seen seen that. Oh, no, okay. uh, you maybe you're confusing it with Sonic the Hedgehog, which oh, I think yes, is still the film I most recently saw at the cinema. <laughs> because <laughs> it was the last film I went to the cinema to see in um February twenty twenty before lockdown hit. I'm, I'm still disappointed that it wasn't Cats. I was, I was, I still wish that the last film you'd seen in the cinema was. I Cats. think that was the second last film. Yeah, yeah. And of course, speaking that. speaking of Cats, there is actually a a through road to Cats here. Um, is there? <laughs> there is. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a random route, but uh, this movie was directed by Biban Kidron. Um, aka Baroness Kidron now, um, oh. for her work in in children's charities and children's rights. Oh, cool! Um, 
her husband is Lee Hall, the playwright and, and writer. Uh. Um, and guess guess what he wrote? Cats. He wrote Cats 2019. Yeah, he took, so, he took something that T.S. Eliot had written that Andrew Lloyd Webber turned into a terrifying thing that just about works on stage and then said, how can we make this a true nightmare of the screen? <laughs> so hats off to Lee Hall. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the thing is that he's actually got a really good um, track record of, of work. Oh, yeah, um, of course. This is, I, I don't know if you know, know other things that he's worked on, but, you know, he's done a lot of... Um, so a loads of, of stuff. A lot of a lot of plays, um, a lot of very successful plays, but also things like Billy Elliot as well um, for the screen. You know, uh, I did... don't think I've ever seen Billy Elliot. Oh, really? No. Oh, okay. Um, he did Pride and Prejudice, which we will watch at some point, the 2005 version. Oh, yeah. Oh, he did um, Rocket Man. And he did Rocket Man. I love Rocket Man. Man. Yeah, which is a wonderful movie. Um, so, yeah, we <laughs> you know, Cats has brought you us... Don't know what it's like. Sorry, <laughs> just um, Elton John was here a, a second ago, but now he's gone. <laughs> he heard you say the word Rocket Man, and uh, and uh, and he, he sort of burst through the door slightly. Yeah, you say Rocket Man three times in the mirror. Elton John appears to sing "I'm Still Standing." <laughs> oh, I wish that was true. I wish that was true. You know who would have made Cats better? Elton John. Elton John. Oh, he he could have done any of those roles. Any imagine, of them. <laughs> imagine him as Jason Derulo's character. <laughs> Be ideal. Um, Tugger is a curious cat. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I genuinely would have loved him in the Judy Dench role. <laughs> oh, old, that would have been incredible. Yeah. That, no petition. offense to Judy, because I think it was an iconic performance, but he would have been great. <laughs> petition to remake cats with elton john in every role yeah that's what we want um you know you could you could just go to his house and set up a green screen and do it all there yeah, it'd be yeah, very exactly. easy he could, he could just learn all the songs and play them on his piano be simple yeah he probably knows how to unzip his own skin and take it off you know, we can, we can, we can, we can do that in post anyway, can't we? Come on, yeah, let's be honest. Exactly. Um, it's that you'd have a good about a week with Elton John at his house, filming him dancing and singing against the green screen, and then the rest is all, it's all, yeah, it's all post production. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but alas, there is no Elton John in Cats or in Bridget Jones: The Edge of Reason. No, it there aren't really even cameo. any celebrity cameos in this one, are there? On no, the first one. No. Which is disappointing. Jeremy Paxman. Oh, he's not a celebrity. Quite a boring cameo, isn't it? Does he really count as a celeb? Mm. Does, an, does an American watching Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, know who Jeremy Paxman is? No, they don't. Then, quite simply, not a celebrity. Sorry, Jeremy, I know you listen every week, but... Yeah. <laughs> you have to have made it across the pond. When are you going to break America, Jeremy Paxman? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to know. You've had however many decades. He needs what are to you go doing? Pull your finger uh, out. He needs to go over wearing a big US of A jacket with a hawk on the back. <laughs> and and stars on the on the shoulders and go, All right, I'm in America now. I'm gonna be your angry politics man now. I suppose do, do they even have a a, a a Paxman equivalent in America? Do they have uh, a, a firebrand political commentator? The viewers of Fox News would tell you that they do, but I don't think that makes it true. There's no equivalent of Paxman because there isn't someone who's done that but has also done like a, a snide um, quiz show, college <laughs> quiz show host role. You think you're smart, but you're not the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that show, Are You Smarter Than a Ten-Year-Old? <laughs> Are You Smarter Than Jeremy Paxman? Yeah. Um I can can I say something? What? I I I hate university challenge. <laughs> it's boring. I really hate it. It's boring, it's niche. You watch it and you're like, "Oh, if you can answer something correctly, then you kind of feel a bit smart." But most of the time you're like, "This is boring science shit. Stupid stupid science bitches 
talking about science. <laughs> yeah, stupid history bitches knowing obscure dates of stuff that have no use or relevance. Yeah, exactly. It's... Where's where's the interesting bit? And and then it will be like, listen to this random jazz recording from 1973, and then they answer within half a second. It's like that's by Flu Bapa Debap on his on his album look at my pork pie hat you you jeb end um <laughs> flu bubba deba he's my favorite yeah, I exactly. Love flu exactly um and and then everyone goes ah acceptable that you managed to get that within half a second you could have been quicker there's yeah. no there's no love there's no praise is there on, the, on the, the, the problem with the university challenge is that it it makes out that you know esoteric and obscure knowledge is the same thing as intelligence and maybe that's not the fault of the show. Maybe that's just the general perception of the thing that people understand don't understand, which is that knowledge is different to intelligence. I'd also argue that that is a big problem with academia at the highest levels. Yeah, um, but this is why I'm not in academia. <laughs> which is why you're not in, you, you have too much of a grounded knowledge of the world. Um, Went to the University of Life, mate. Way. Exactly, exactly, bruv. You, you are the most grounded PhD owner that I know. Um, because yeah, sometimes I I th- I don't think we're speaking out of turn here when we say sometimes in the sort of higher echelons of academia it becomes a bit niche. I think you can probably say a little that. bit niche, not, not yeah, too many just people, a little bit. just a little yeah. bit niche. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, and and that's what university challenge is all about, isn't it? It's about smart niche knowledge, but not actually smartness whereas mastermind i would say is more interesting i like, I like mastermind yeah because mastermind i've been is, considering it's... applying to go on it but you don't really get anything for going on it apart from getting to be on tv and a trophy if you win you get to sit in the comfy chair and hear some creepy music in person though i do hate that music <laughs> It's brilliant. Not it's as good as Antiques Roadshow, is it, as our kind of love of British TV <laughs> theme tunes goes. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't... Uh, uh, to bring it back to Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, a film which is mostly, you know, 90 minutes of kind of Bridget Jones jumping from scene to scene going, how can I humiliate myself next? You would not have been surprised if the celebrity cameo in that was um, John Humphreys and her suddenly accidentally sitting in the mastermind chair having to answer questions about a subject she doesn't know anything about. I mean, yeah, that would that would work, wouldn't it, in, in, in line with this? And again, if I think it would have been a purely British film where they weren't trying to make it more widespread, it's the kind of thing that you could imagine them thinking of doing. So you're um, saying it's not, it doesn't have enough kind of niche British content for you? I want more niche British content. I want a modern day version where she ends up on Pointless or uh, Songs of Pointless. Praise. You don't like Pointless? No, it's boring. Oh, I like Pointless. Uh, pointless reminds, and, and maybe this is why you find it boring, but it reminds me of the kind of low thrills, nice TV quiz shows of when I was a kid. Instead of things like, what's the thing where they play the game that you play down the pier, but on a big stage? Um, the two the two penny machines Takeshi's castle <laughs> Takeshi's castle now what are they called the two p machines down the when you go down the pier or in a little well, you, you put the two p in and it's supposed to go like and there's loads of other two p's and it's like will it push the two p's down yeah yeah you've seen that you've seen the 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 quiz show based on that haven't the you? wall danny dyer's the wall is it that one <laughs> i don't think it's danny dyer Oh no! Well, if you haven't seen Danny Dyer's The Wall, that one's actually not bad. There's about one question every ten, like every ten minutes, and then in between, there's this whole weird thing with them having to choose like which slot a ball falls down, and then it goes like bouncing around like in a pinball machine, and it f- randomly falls into a slot that either gives them or loses them money. And Danny Dyer's right, going, stand- okay. he's just standing there going, "Come on, wall! Come on, wall! Yes, yes, yes!" It's great. <laughs> And again, if the, if Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason had been made ooh, six to seven years later, Danny Dyer cameo, for sure. I see, I see. Um, is it, and, is you it, know, for is our American Pachinko? listeners, we're giving you a bit, of a bit of a crash course in British culture here now, aren't we? Is it Pachinko? It's Pachinko, isn't it? Is, Pachinko. That's what the wall is. You know, the Japanese machines where it's a, oh, a right. ball and yeah. it bounces down. Yeah. 
oh no, I'm, it's really going to bug me now. What is the name of the? Like it's or it's like the two P machine. So what is it? Just one of those giant things where someone puts in a giant two P. Yeah, they put in giant two P. Tipping point. It's called. Have you ever tipping seen tipping point? point? No, I've never seen that. Okay, so tipping point is basically the two P machines, but every so often they have to answer questions, and then that allows them to put a a big T two P in, and then it hopefully drops down and then they get coins out of the other side giant coins it's truly awful um, sounds rubbish the other terrible one sorry this is a huge diversion but i need to get this off my chest <laughs> million pound drop is the most annoying quiz show on that? television so they start off with a million quid and then they have to decide which way they want to split that money out between potential questions so they get given a million pound in cash and then it could be how many times did danny dyer say yeah good job the wall on last week's episode of the wall did he say it 15 times 20 times or 25 times and if they're absolutely certain that he said it 20 times you can put all one million pounds in and that will go through to the next question but if they split it out between them then anything that they got wrong they'd lose right um and it's a it's a fair it's a it's an it's an all right concept you know um if if it kept up the pace well, but instead you answer like a question every 15 minutes and it's mainly Davina McCall going, now let's find out if you were right after uh. these commercial messages. And then they come back and they go, so you answered Danny Dyer would have said this 20 times. Mm, I wonder if you're right. Let's oh, find God. out if you were right. And then the money drops. And I'd go, rather oh, listen to I'm Radiohead sorry. than listen you to were, you continue to do this. You were right, but then you also lost £30,000 because that's what you put on that he said it 25 times. It just goes on forever. It's a show that should be over in 15 minutes and it lasts an hour and I hate it. And <laughs> I million pound drop, you, you get on my nerves. Send me a million quid in damages. <laughs> yeah it's all your fault million pound drop yeah yeah get out you've ruined you've ruined you've ruined oh wow apparently now it's known as the 100k drop so clearly it didn't do well enough to keep giving away a million pounds <laughs> unlike who wants to be a millionaire which is back with jeremy clarkson instead of chris tarrant what do you how do you feel about that i still like the show but he is a massive knob so it's really hard to watch <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson is the post-Brexit Chris Tarrant, isn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. After after the talents dried up on this tiny little island full of turfs, um, <laughs> turfs <laughs> and turds. That's who you get turfs and turds. That's what Britain is. Oh, is that, um, that's a meal like a surf and turf. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing you can get at Brexit Burger. Yeah, you can get the Brexit special, which is just and fish a pile and chips, of obviously fish and chips, but it's not real fish and it's not real chips. The fish is made out of grass, and the chips are made out of turnip, turnip yep. chips. And the grass came from Ireland. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, um, British culture is very bad, basically. And Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, I think makes can make a compelling case for it being bad, but also some good, right? Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason was the last compelling piece of British culture. Yeah, it's all <laughs> it's not downhill from there. It's not hyperbole. This was the last time that our nation was happy, was when Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason came out. Um, that might actually be true. <laughs> I think it might be, you know. Um, because let's face it, David Cameron got in in what what year did Cameron win the election? Was it two thousand and uh uh? So two thousand ten. Uh, yeah, two thousand and ten. So you still got like, yeah, yeah. That that's right. Because the financial crash was like two thousand and eight, and Gordon Brown yeah. was prime minister then. So yeah. 2004, yeah, you're transitioning from Blair into Brown, but the economy's still just about okay. You know, the and then you've got stuff like New Rave. Well, yeah, exactly. 2004, already New Labour is starting to go sour, as we've discussed. They've already committed war crimes, which no. is not good. 
Um, Tony Blair's been on the Catherine Tate show and said, am I bothered? Oh, God. Yeah, that was the moment where, where British culture died. That was the turning point. Um, that was the turning point. Um, so already New Labour's on a downturn. They're starting to get all into surveillance state nonsense and ID cards and becoming the Conservative Party, basically, aren't they, at this point? Um, and then eventually it leads to to, to Jean Bon head himself, David Cameron. Um, and everything has gone wrong with this country since 2010. So, yeah, this was the last time that Britain was relevant and happy 2004 bridget jones the edge of reason but you could see the seeds of it in there couldn't you you could Colin Firth, yeah clearly a tory <laughs> obvious tory. and bridget jones comes across as the big the big socialist activist by going to the the tory lawyer party and saying actually charity is okay although i think you to, to be you fair bald, you balding white tory to be to be fair i think i think um colin firth is just cucked by his profession isn't he because if you if you if you see what else he's done in these in these films um you know being a civil rights lawyer and all that very few civil rights lawyers are tories um because yeah, civil true. rights are the complete antithesis of everything the conservative party stands for so it doesn't really correlate that well um but i think he's just a few of them are tories some of them are keir starmers <laughs> yeah well quite um red tories some might say, "Is that is that mean? Is that mean to old Keir fence fence sitter extraordinary?" He's not a red Tory, is he? He's just a, a centrist, a fence sitting centrist dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly, he's Harry Potter. Harry Potter, the centrist yeah. dad. Um, he's a wizard cop. I tell you what, Keir Starmer's favourite band is definitely um, <laughs> stereophonics. Stereophonics, yeah, yeah. He, he bloody loves the stereophonics. Um, he's there in his... He's been to see them in concert over six times. <laughs> yeah, he's seen them six and a half times. He's got all their CDs. He had to He had to leave halfway through the previous show because he realised he had um, reservations at Pizza Express and had to go. Yep. Um, and yeah. I, I, I can't... Keir Starmer's bad as a leader. I think it's fair to say he's not done a very good job so far as Labour Party leader. Um, and he, I think part of the reason is he's just a bit boring, isn't he? He's He's got a similar kind of cringe factor that Ed Miliband had, where you know how Ed Miliband would have the... <laughs> the giant stone slab of labor policies or the or the yeah but that that looks like goofy fun compared to Keir Starmer, <laughs> I suppose it who does. just like can't do anything I suppose it does it's like anything happens it's just like he's just like oh well yes i suppose that is bad but also maybe hmm yes maybe not <laughs> yeah i think and it it just he just comes across as that drill tweet about the wise man saying there is no <laughs> difference between good and bad things you and <laughs> exactly exactly i mean the most recent challenging thing that i've seen is that one of his mp's um has been liking some incredibly transphobic stuff on twitter um Ooh. which is not good and this is not the first time that it's happened uh, and so the, actually the official lgbt plus uh labor committee has said remove the whip please um and as of yet silence because i imagine he's there thinking mm, shit i might need to make a decision on this one i better stay quiet until it all goes away um it's not good <laughs> So, you know, say what you want about Jeremy Corbyn, but at least he made decisions. Sometimes they were terrible decisions, but at least he made decisions. Yeah. Um, decisions. He he was not afraid to call a liar a liar. No. Especially when that liar was Boris Johnson, who is the most li- the lyingest liar in the kingdom of liars. He's the liar king. <laughs> he's he Mufasa. He's a wanker because he's such a big liar. <laughs> um such a big lad <laughs> um so yeah at least at least jeremy corbyn would have called um boris johnson a liar um for all of his faults and there were a lot i just i i wonder could we get bridget jones to be leader of the labor party wouldn't be so bad would it who's the closest that we've got to bridget jones in the labor party right now oh i, I don't know i'd have to assess the mps 
But, you know, that could be Richard Curtis's next film, the kind of the, the fourth and final film in the Bridget Jones saga. She becomes prime minister somehow. <laughs> Bridget Jones's manifesto. Yeah. Love it. Um, I'm trying to think of who's got big Bridget Jones energy. Angela Rayner's a bit too serious. Yeah, yeah. Too real. Not goofy too enough, real. not fun enough. None of them are fun enough is the problem. None of them really no, come across no. as much fun. And, and I yeah, think that's because that we're that... living in very grim, unfun times and things were very fun in 2004, you know. It's true. What did you have to worry about in this country in 2004? Yeah, you know, you could yeah. jump out of a plane and <laughs> land in some pig shit and everyone would love you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which politician can you see doing that these days? No one in the shadow cabinet, sure. No, no, exactly. They'd all be like, oh, I don't know if this will go down well with our with our Red Wall voters. <laughs> I better not do it yeah um yeah no i I just wish we had a bridget jones in parliament right now me too so you know 2004 it it was a good time for this film you know it was when did the first one come out 2001 yeah that's right so you got three three years in between them and it is based on the book but apparently not very closely and a lot of the stuff was kind of taken out in favor of just kind of cheap gags basically but the bit where it turns into a gritty Thai jail drama is from the book, apparently. <laughs> really? Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> Which kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, not going to lie. Um, and obviously there has been criticism of this movie for having a kind of white saviour dynamic yeah which is absolutely um, fair enough like she's which is, all which she is does is go into yeah. jail and teach them to dance to madonna's creepiest nonciest song and then suddenly <laughs> she's a human rights hero what yeah that's exactly how it works um, i hate that song I, d- I don't dislike madonna some of her songs i think are actually really good but i hate that song oh really it's a cringe bit of a non-santhem isn't it we have we have uh, discussed this, haven't we? Is uh, is 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 like a virgin and nonce anthem? Well, you're you're more um, offended by the religious imagery, of course, because any mention of religion in a film or a song will make you apoplectic with rage. <laughs> Whereas, because I'm a I'm a Catholic, I'm okay with it. I expect. Yeah, it. That, that's exactly right. I mean, I am so non-religious that you're yeah, the Richard Dawkins of film criticism. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you know who could fall into a pile of pig shit and not be okay? Richard, Richard Dawkins, Dawkins. Would be quite all right with that. He's probably um, done that, tweeted about it, and then somehow twisted it to, to a tweet about how clever he is. You know what's wrong about this? Muslims. That's yeah. what I fell in some poo, and it was it was Islam's fault. Yeah, man, what a fucking. How do you like that, cock boy? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to call a dickhead a dickhead, haven't you? And Richard Dawkins, prime dickhead. He's not even a good Twitter troll anymore. No, no. So at least you could enjoy him trolling people by just being an asshole. But now he's just dull. He talks absolute rubbish all the time. Yeah. I I wonder what he's got to say about COVID. Actually, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> but I, I do bet not it's care. inane bullshit. Um, speaking of inane bullshit about COVID, did you know that reptilian lover extraordinaire? Um, has made a resounding comeback in in the press. Jacob Rees Mogg. <laughs> no, David Icke. Oh, David Icke. Um, I thought he David was basically Icke. banned from every platform ever. Well, no, because he's now come out as an anti-lockdown person. Um, and oh, I knew he's that. Claiming all sorts of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, he he got up and gave a big old speech with some other complete nutters. Um, the weekend just gone in London, an anti-lockdown campaign, even though lockdown's now over. Uh, now it's turned into um, Satan is behind the vaccine. Don't take the vaccine because the devil has created it. Um, of course. Literally a struck off nurse was on stage and said um, that they, mer- they they killed doctors. They hung the doctors and nurses at the Nuremberg trials. What do you reckon is going to happen this time? Oh, is I did that see well? that, yeah. Yeah. Well, on um, the religious angle, Hake. you know, as a, as a Catholic, I have a direct line to God and the devil, so I can tell you that he didn't create the vaccine. <laughs> God made it. <laughs> well, I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like to think that David Icke was there waiting to speak and was like, oh, God, I'm surrounded by some real fucking weirdos this time. Well, better get up and talk about how reptiles rule the world. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, remember everybody, he has claimed and has not rescinded his claim that interdimensional reptilian beings control Earth and every person in power in this country and around the world is a reptilian being shape-shifting to look like a human. He's not he trolling. Also, this is what no, he he's genuinely not trolling. believes. This is what he believes. Um, he also believes that the moon is a reptilian base, I think. <laughs> Um, that it's like a hollow base and it's not really a moon. Um, it's, uh, yeah, which is, which is incredible. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's an interdimensional sort of, uh, base from the reptilian dimension is the moon. Um, and it's artificial. It's not a real moon. So the next time that you see someone saying, um, COVID 19's a hoax, or, oh, I don't know if I should get the vaccine. Um, remember that these people are on the same side as people who believe that reptiles rule the world. Um, do not take any of them seriously. If, if they're coming at you saying that 5G is going to infect your bloodstream and turn you into a monster uh, through, a, through a vaccine, that's not going to happen. Um and really, these people should also fall into a big pile of poo um, yeah. and not not survive. So we can thank Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, for giving us this template for falling into a big pile of pig poo on live yeah, television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think, is now central I, to British culture. I think it should be, um, you know, get your own back from when we were kids. Oh, yeah. Instead which basically big... was just people getting gunged, wasn't it? It was yeah. Everyone gets gunged. It's brilliant. Instead of the gunge, um, the 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 gunge pool at the end, it should be pig, pig poo. Um, but I would go one further and put barbed wire around the outside, and it's just for people like David Icke. So this is this is a bit like a saw film now, isn't it? So the get your own back version <laughs> yeah. of a saw film. Get get your own back meets saw, but only for COVID denialists. Yeah. Um, I get a twenty four on the phone now. Oh man, they'd be all over it. They or maybe Blumhouse that. actually. It might be yeah, a bit yeah, too that's, low. That's a bit more Blumhouse. Might be a bit too yeah, it might be a bit too lowbrow <laughs> for old uh, old A twenty four unless we did some really fancy direction. Yeah, um, yeah. Unless it was all shot kind of slow and hazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put over some sad piano music as David Icke like, uh, around in pig filth. Some quotable dialogue in there. Um <laughs> um anyway right back to bridget jones um i don't know how we got onto this i'm sorry I, this has been a bit of a look it's all british culture this is what happens when we talk about british films we end up having a wider discussion about british culture and i think that's good i think it's important that our global listenership is aware that we used to have a tv program in the uk called get your own back where someone would go on and be like my mum made me go to bed early and then their mum is sitting above a pool of gunge on a chair falls into the pool of gunge same every week, it is, but that it was our childhood. It is. It is literally that. Is it was my my dad makes me do exercise, or my mum makes me do my homework, or this teacher cares about me and wants me to succeed. I don't like it. I want to just play Mario. Can we gunge them? And then Dave Benson Philip goes, "Yeah, let's gunge them." And then they get gunged <laughs> on them. It's yeah, truly, the 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 peak of British television was get your own back. Yeah. Um, truly and, you know, in many ways, Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason represents the peak of British cinema. <laughs> yeah, Which, I mean, is, it's got Hugh Grant yeah. in it. It's got Hugh Grant. It's got Colin Firth. It's got Jeremy Paxman. What more could you want? What more could you possibly than, ask than from a film than for an American woman playing a British female lead? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But again, I, I but think no, her performance is role. good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think she's brilliant in the role. Um, you know, I can't, I can't imagine anyone else being Bridget Jones ever. Um, and she nails it. She, she really nails it. Yeah. And you know, this film, it sort of, it leans into the, the humiliating herself side of things that was present in the first film, but kind of the first film got that balance right. For me, I think the second film, it goes a bit too hard on that stuff, but it doesn't mean that it's unwatchable. It just means that, you know, the, the stuff that's the really serious relationship stuff between her and Colin Firth feels forced, you know, whereas the rest of it is kind of, you know, funny slapstick gags and silly stuff, which is all yeah, it, fine. It, it falls into that issue that sequels to romantic movies often have, which is the slightest misunderstanding creates the 
difficult romantic dynamic that, that propels the film and it never really works does it and and this is one of the better examples where it just about fumbles through and is enjoyable enough to watch without it but it's still pretty pretty paper thin um, yeah it could all be resolved with one adult discussion um if if that even half an adult discussion whereas instead um, the film yeah. really really wants to emphasize the fact that she is a little bit overweight and has her say it to him as a thing in their argument when it's actually never really come up before <laughs> apart yeah. from only from her talking about it talking about her wobbly yeah. bits yeah exactly it's 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 a shame that it's kind of just not complex in that way it would it would be nicer if there wasn't that kind of drama and it was more just sort of you know may, maybe he has an issue with her going off and and doing this show with an obvious bull bag um yeah that kind of thing um that's what you'd actually, expect actually yeah there doesn't actually have to be a a major falling out and and but a lot of films they they fall on that issue quite hard um where that that that's kind of what they feel like they have to do in their rom-com um which is always 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 difficult to navigate you know romantic movies aren't aren't the kind of films that lend themselves well to sequels being successful no even if they are based on books yeah yeah even then there's still challenges um and yeah this is one of the better ones it fumbles through um still moderately well received by by fans i think i think fans of the films like this one as well yeah um, i don't think there's any kind of major like massive criticism is there yeah yeah exactly exactly um so yeah so it's, it's an all right one isn't it have you got anything else you'd like to say about all um just that you know Bridgie? the bit where she's all kind of pulling on the corsets and trying to squeeze into the tiny clothes or whatever because she's going to the fancy lawyer party and there's all jokes about like kind of her doing her makeup wrong and stuff and it's like do you think is it sort of poking fun at the expectations placed on women and women's bodies or is it kind of condoning it because I work it's hard to read isn't it because I feel like it's trying to have it both ways yeah I think it's more it's more poking fun at it but at the same time because she is a because Bridget Jones is kind of a hybrid of someone that you see yourself represented in but also someone that you can poke fun at it's kind like like you said it is kind of trying to have its cake and eat it isn't it um yeah but um but I think it's mainly on the side of poking fun of the expectations yeah it's not massively problematic it's just that like none of it really makes any kind of grand statement about anything it's just kind of yeah it's kind of there. It sort of explores a lot of that stuff, but doesn't really delve deep into any issues, does it? Which you shouldn't really expect yeah, exactly. of a light-hearted exactly. romantic comedy, I suppose. <laughs> no, no. Um, I think it's more sort of it's more interested in the sort of um, the cringeworthy the British humour. Well, yes, uh, the cringeworthy British humour, and I think there's more about the class dynamic and the different uh, viewpoints uh, instead, rather than rather than anything more specific about femininity yeah the sort of Um, mini argument they have about their potential child going or not going to Eton is actually one of the more interesting scenes from that point of view isn't it yeah yeah exactly you know this this isn't working class meets aristocracy it's two different strands of of upper middle class I suppose um yeah but it just shows that that great divide between even similar class dynamics in this country as much as the cinematography tries to make out that she lives in a flat in a like a kind of rough bit of london we can all see that it's in borough market (laughs) quite it would cost a million pounds probably or more yeah she works a pretty decent media job her family has plenty of space um she's just not quite as rich as captain posh um who lives so, in a big house who lives in a in a very big house that has like a lawyer room in it for lawyering in, <laughs> just so that she can go in to interrupt the lawyering and humiliate herself again yes yeah exactly exactly um so so yeah so it 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 does have that kind of discussion around and again i suppose that ties into 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 um new labor britain where you see this divergence of class and traditional class dynamics kind of fading 
a little bit where instead it's very much around you know you've got the people who couldn't who can go to private school and the people who can't go to private school and that's kind of the bigger divide um in terms of you know um lower middle class and middle class versus uh versus the the upper middle class and and upper class i suppose yeah um which is like the big you know people like to think that class is dead it's not you know um you've still got people living in abject poverty in this country what's happened is that class has become more complex and rather than being based solely around what kind of work you do it's now very much based around what opportunities you have and what uh, what land you own, what capital yeah. you have, what history your family has. And, you know, gen- um, generational wealth and privilege yeah, and all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah you know, um, it, it's less around what your what your income is or what kind of job you have because a lot of people struggle, particularly following the recession, people have been struggling with 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 getting by on a day-to-day basis um, a lot. And... Yeah, this this has got into a very serious point in a film that literally has <laughs> a woman landing in pig shit as its opening. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm sorry. I, I will stop with this with this point. But yeah, class is complex, and I suppose that is that is part of this film, isn't it? Class is a complex. Yeah, you uh, can't avoid that in any film in that's movie. truly British, can you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. We love our complex, annoying historical hierarchies. Um, that is again a, a major part of our culture. We're we're awful. Britain is awful. Yeah, and this film sort of gets away with that, but also does remind you of it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it'll be interesting to see how they deal with it in the next one, <laughs> which is quite recent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was only a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so it's post Brexit, um, anyway. Is a post post Brexit Bridget Jones? Yeah, Brexit um, Jones. So, uh, so I've got a little bit of a little bit of trivia for you. So apparently, this is the most expensive movie in the Bridget Jones trilogy. Hmm. Um, cost the most to make, um, which is which is interesting. I suppose they just they had to do all the travel because they had to go skiing. Skiing is very expensive. <laughs> exactly exactly and all, all those people in the like ski jump race or the, the ski slalom race that she crashes through and then skis down and somehow survives that was a very expensive scene yeah yeah precisely um there were plans also to have a bigger cameo george clooney was going to appear but the plans were dropped um i'm not sure where george clooney would have would have fitted in yeah he could um, be a fancy and- lawyer couldn't he he could he could be a fancy lawyer. Um, of course, his um, his much better half is a is a very successful lawyer. Is a fantastic fancy lawyer. The fanciest yeah. of fancy the fa- excellent <laughs> the lawyers. Fanciest, the fanciest of excellent lawyers who do do great things. Um, and and finally, again, going into the 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 differences between the book and the the film. Apparently, uh, Daniel Cleaver only has a very small appearance in the book, but because his character was so popular in the first movie, they expanded it in the in the film. Which makes sense because no one who knows anything about the publishing business would write someone who's that high up in the publishing business being able to just like jump over to TV or wanting to do that. Like they'd give him a travel show just because he's some publishing exec. That doesn't happen. There no, had to have yeah. been some transition there. Yeah, I mean, you you get the odd thing here and there, but only with very charismatic people who already have their fingers in various pies, don't you? Yeah. Um, which you know, maybe he does. Maybe that's why he's got it. But the way that they portray it in this in this film is a little bit simplistic. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so that's it from me. So, how are we going to rank? Uh, how many years are you sentenced to in prison for? for drug smuggling and the, t- the Thai jail for having yes. cocaine in the horn um i went down for 12 years yeah and i think i'm going to join you on 12 it was a rough um, time but we all sang madonna and we got through it yeah yeah it's um it's all right isn't it it's 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 an enjoyable film but it's not quite up there yeah if you what if you like the first one, you will like this. 
there's I don't think there's any question of that. You might not enjoy it as much, but it's um it's lighthearted, it's fun, it's a you know, a fun film to pass the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And an important monument to the awfulness of British culture. One hundred percent. Um right, so we've got another Bridget next, haven't we? Yeah, Bridget Jones's Baby, which is the third and final film in the trilogy, made sometime after this one. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, and and as mentioned, I've never seen it before, and I'm very intrigued to see it. I've not seen it either. Oh, exciting times. So that's always good. But yeah, and then that will conclude our um, three Bridget Jones films. It's almost a themed month. It's only one film less than Sand Loon. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, it's true. Come on, hurry up and do Bridget Jones's cultural revolution. Yeah. That's what we want. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) for sure all right until that time we'll be back next week to talk about bridget jones's baby there is a link in our show notes where you can give us money like a tip jar you can find us on twitter at big boys don't pod on email big boys don't cry podcast at gmail.com and we'll be back next week all righty bye bye bye